Hi, everyone. This is Anthony Diaz with the Pop Health Show. And the show is for anyone that has passion for health, passion for making other people healthy in this world that can manifest in a variety of different ways, whether you're a healthcare CEO for a hospital, um, digital health startup founder, a founder for uh, a, a health tech VC. But anyway, we get a, a lot of different perspectives on the show. I'm most importantly really excited to have Yuri Engstrom on the show today. Yuri is a partner and co-founder at YesVC. He has a really interesting background touching a lot of dimensions of health, but most importantly, product. He has investor mindset. He's hitting all the different facets that can manifest new innovations into the future. He's here to share his story with us. Yuri, welcome to the show. Thanks, Anthony. It's great to be here. Awesome to have you, and thank you for making time. Yuri, tell us a little bit about what made you into the person you are today? Tell us your origin story. I was born in Finland, um, in Helsinki. And uh, when I was a kid, my, my parents are academics. And, and uh, they would um, work at UCSD in, in San Diego. And we'd come up to Xerox Park, um, where they had a whole bunch of colleagues that were working on the early technologies. A lot of that also... Um, about social technologies, um, early versions of the internet, Ethernet, mm -hmm. um, and obviously all the famous stuff that came out of Park. And so, as a kid, I remember, you know, I would play around with uh, these gadgets. And I remember once, uh, for instance, toying around with stuff that I later discovered. It wasn't until many years later were early prototypes of the mouse. Um, at Doug Engelbart's office in Park. So it was an exposure to that era um, of the Valley, which really originated a lot of the stuff that we take for granted right now. And it wasn't until later when I had started my first company called Jaiku, which was acquired by Google in 2007, that I actually moved back to the Valley mm -hmm. and, and sort of realized, wow, like, you know, these stomping grounds, Stanford, Berkeley, the universities, um, a lot of those those people who by that time had kind of gone in and out of academia, um, many of them had been at places like Apple and really contributed in a big way to, to you know, again, all these things that we kind of take for granted right now. And so um, that's that's sort of my background. It's this, this you know, traversing um, really the, the ocean and the divide between Europe and particularly Nordics, Scandinavia. Um, you know, my parents are professors there still. My dad's a professor of education. So I come from that academic kind of mindset, just, just as a family background that then mm -hmm. sort of infused, you know, I got my, um, my degrees in sociology. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a passionate sociologist and social scientist. And that sort of led me to um, build these early social networks at Google, um, you know, obviously with Jaiku, that first company, uh, my second company, Ditto, um, was another social mobile recommendations app that was acquired by Groupon. Um, mm -hmm. So I've, I've, I've built a few companies myself, then those have been sold. And now for the last, let's say, six, six and a half years, been working as an investor full time. So originally at True Ventures, um, where True's made a bunch of great investments into wellness and health, including things like Peloton, Fitbit. Um, probably, you know, the most exciting ones in that portfolio, lots of other cool stuff there too. Um, and now recently, together with Katarina Fake, my partner, we started a new fund. It's called YesVC. It's early stage. 
that means checks along the you know it's pre-seed and seed checks around 500k up to maybe a million and a half initial check um, mm -hmm. leading these pre-seed and seed rounds where we really look for movement so we, you know we we look for companies that are kind of driven by some sort of a community angle um, you know they often have um, you know uh, you know there's a social platform obviously that's kind of you know Katarina obviously co-founded Flickr was the chairman of Etsy, uh, early investor in things like Kickstarter, Cloudera, um, you know, and all these companies really what they had in common was that idea that they they kind of, you know, like Katarina says, they found a parade and got in front of it. Um, mm -hmm. you know, they were serving a community um, that adopted that platform. Same thing with Blue Bottle Coffee, for instance, which was a great company um, we invested in at True, where Katarina also as an angel, you know, these companies kind of became emblematic of something larger than themselves. Like with Blue Bottle Coffee, it's really about this third wave coffee. With Etsy, it's about the, the maker movement. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's really what we get excited by when we think that there's an opportunity for a new brand to emerge as the key platform for some kind of new social practice, we call it a movement. So those mm -hmm. are the things we look for. And I think in healthcare and wellness specifically right now, we've, we're seeing this enormous disruption, right? And so right. Um, it's one of the most exciting spaces for us. I love it. I love it, Yuri. Yeah, no, it's, it's fascinating to see your background have this blend of, you know, product, product innovation, social creation execution upon the social the social science element of where you kind of began mindset wise and you know a lot of your investments that you've done and, and congratulations obviously on so you know the stuff that true was doing and then you know starting starting yes with uh with katarina you guys are making some interesting bets and it, it feels like the health element is definitely this interwoven fabric across you know the social science element um, so with your current like portfolio companies um, across like consumer packaged goods, um, you know, blockchain, for instance, and some of these other elements, a lot of it does, these are phenomenon that will affect people's health, right? And from a social perspective, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, the themes that you've been investing in? So what you're doing now and then where you're, what other themes that, that really have you and Katarina's fascination right now? Right. Um, absolutely. So firstly, what I think's, the, the kind of the major thing that um, has gotten our attention here is that health and wellness as well uh, used to be viewed as an individual activity mm -hmm. and, and, and somewhat separated from the early social platforms, things like the first Web 2.0 successes, things like Flickr or you think about even Facebook, um, they're not really um, designed to somehow incorporate uh, aspects of your your body, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and 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 they're really these early social networks. Whereas now, if you look at what's going on, is is these are getting increasingly integrating and overlapping. And I think it also reflects the progress of science because any smart doctor nowadays, um, you know, takes for granted and is is interested in our social relationships and how they affect our well being, right? Right. And that didn't really used to be the case. And, and so this is the fundamental factor that these two, the Venn diagram, there's an increasing amount of overlap um, between these two uh, previously more separated domains, right? And that, that's great news for us, obviously, because, you know, we understand social really well. Um, and we're just now seeing technologies, you know, you think about um, 
you know, something like, let's take an Aura ring, for instance, or a Fitbit, right? So we're seeing these sensors that are on all the time, obviously Apple Watch and et cetera. You all, you know, know this very well, right? And and that data that they're generating, mm-hmm. it, it, it basically, when you plug that into the, the classic network effects formula, mm-hmm. how social networks grow, right? Where right. the idea is that the, the value of the network grows exponentially as the nodes on the network grow linearly. Right. Basic fundamental factor that makes investing in social platforms so lucrative. Mm-hmm. Now, now that's for the first time you're seeing that being applied in things like health and wellness too, where just the fact that you're able to take this data and compare you know, millions of people um, and not just sick people, but healthy people. Mm-hmm. Um, like that fundamentally that is 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 what's driving this right and so like i made an early investment in a company called moves for instance which some of you might remember it's this app I love that was it. really one of the first things that sort of was you know we called it casual it was casual exercise yeah right? it's something that just kind of happens when you when you're just taking steps when you're walking right this is really also what fitbit tapped into in that early sort of first generation of this new like kind of health 2.0, some people call it, right? And so you basically collect this data and then you turn it into something that's useful and actionable to people. And you really cannot do that without starting to cross-reference social networks. Yeah. Right? And 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 the, there's a new generation of, of moves, which was, so moves was sold to Facebook. Uh, right. Became one of the core technologies informing, uh, you know, in, 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 Facebook's case, some of that stuff that they were doing around um, helping people discover each other through their mobile app locally. Now, mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm also invested in, and True Ventures also invested in a, a company called Gyroscope. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but it's yeah. kind of a new version of Moves. And, yeah. And the thing that um, I was excited by there is is we have these multiple sensors. People are constantly adding new ones, right? You, we're you know now tracking even things like our microbiome, um, you know, mm-hmm. and, so, and so as we get these, and this is the by the way, this is what was similar with that early. I worked at Nokia in the '90s, um, mm-hmm. yeah, so you know, in this very early part of uh, the social web. Uh, we came up with new sensors such as GPS that was able to sense your location. We came up with cameras that were miniaturized into mo- inside mobile phones. I remember the first time I handled a prototype camera phone at Nokia HQ, how you know mind-boggling it was that we could do that, which enabled us to capture aspects of our reality and then turn it into data, essentially. And now the same thing is happening with this increase of these hardware sensors in health, right? And what happens when you do that is they turn into what I call social objects. So you take a photograph, for instance, and the reason people come together on a, on a site like Flickr are really those those photos that you can then do verbs around. You can do things like comment, you can tag, you know, um, you can, on Twitter, it's things like retweet. Um, and so when, when we look at these platforms, we think, are they, what's the social object um, that they are translating from, you know, using some some sensor. Um, let's take in the case of the Aura Ring, for instance. For instance, it's the it's your heart rate variability or HRV, um, which previously hasn't been conveniently and inexpensively tracked. And then turning that into a social object that you can somehow apply verbs to, 
in an online or on your on an app based environment where you're actually doing some kind of social interaction around that. So that's the kind of theoretical framework that I use to just when I look at a company uh, or a new technology, that's what I'm thinking is is Steve Jobs called it the chain of pain of transferring a photograph you used to take on your digital camera. You remember you'd have to plug yeah. it a USB port into your computer, you'd have to transfer it to some local application that ran on your computer and then eventually upload it to the web. Mm -hmm. um, Jobs called that the chain of pain. And he basically wanted to turn that into this instantaneous click, which now happens on Instagram, right? And mm. so that's what's going on in these most interesting cases on health applications as well, where you're taking something extremely, um, you know, kind of painlessly translated into something that's really interesting and exciting to collaborate over or collaborate on uh, together with a, a, a social network online, right? And it doesn't mm -hmm. apply in all cases in health. And we see places where, you know, like we, we, we we're, you know, not everything works this way, but there are cases, for instance, where, you know, you look at the way that mindfulness apps, for instance, are, you're, you know, you're able to leverage your social network and turn it into a practice that you are, you feel like the, all these things, these group dynamics that drive, that's like identity, like, you know, I'm a headspace user and uh, mm -hmm. people discuss over the, the practices. Like I just had a conversation earlier this morning with a Swedish friend, friend of mine about, I've started doing these 20 minute hit rides on my Peloton. Whereas, you know, I used to take 45 minute, more like, you know, sort of like, cardiac you know uh kind of longer rides mm -hmm. and so so this these are examples of what i call these social objects so the hit ride turns into a, a topic of conversation that we can then agree or disagree over online so mm. um and i think that um in what i'm assuming or kind of expecting to happen is that wellness and healthcare entrepreneurs who often come from a science background are going to get better at building social-minded consumer-facing applications because that's right. been a, a kind of like a long hard road and we're we're just getting there but this new generation of founders they seem to have a natural you know they're just naturally thinking of it that way which i don't think was the case earlier and so right. that's part of the reason why we're so excited about that space right now is also this founder generation i think mm -hmm. has had time to churn and we're seeing new sensibility um in this in this new group that's entering that space i love it i love it yuri and um yeah really really interesting and so yeah i love headspace i love the the mindset that a lot of entrepreneurs in this space are you know bringing in um let me ask you and, and i know there was a really good article i don't know who po published it i think it came out on medium last week but the consumerization of enterprise right or and, and this next generation that we're going through yep. um you guys have done some really interesting bets in this area and then you cited also some network effects i know some of our listeners aren't too familiar with network effects i, ha I had a chance to you know sit down with james courier we went, we went through it and we actually broke, broke down my business at Health Euro in terms of network effects and where, where are the areas of opportunity. And so hopefully I don't get an invoice for that session because it'll be super expensive. But um, for our listeners, or I guess in relation to some of the newer areas that you're looking to place bets on through Yes, 
Um, when you look at these network effects, and I think to date there's 13 and hopefully there's a 14th coming out in the next like 12 months, I would suspect. But, you know, there's utility, there's protocol, there's, there's you know, marketplaces, two-sided marketplaces, you know, language, belief systems. A lot of this intersects with these social phenomena that can grow. But maybe you can speak to a little bit about like one, two or three new topics that you're looking to invest in or not invest in, but just that really fascinate you and then you know maybe just you know hint upon some of the network effects that you would like to see those businesses come across having or or set up with from the beginning right well one of the things that um, we've been looking at I'll give you an example is is, is the microbiome right mm -hmm. and, and so it's it's obviously a space where we will have multiple sensor opportunities right there's there's your mouth there's your gut right there's there's your skin and so you think about um all of these and and the 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 thing that makes me think that that's a that's a great example where you can translate things into network effects is that it's it requires um something very like a very personalized approach right right and so in order for you to get the benefit, you kind of need to share your information, or you right. need to you need to upload your information, compare it with other similar or dissimilar people, um, and then kind of come up with with your way of doing it, and and that works for you. And so it's it's the same thing as if you're the only person posting on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. Um, it's not super useful. It just becomes a private log. And in fact, that's how that's how microblogging, as it used to be called, started with Brad Fitzpatrick's live journal. It was really people writing their personal journals in blog mm -hmm. format um, that necessarily weren't even shared with anyone. Mm -hmm. And so, and I feel like we've been doing this over and over in health where we've been, you know, still, you know, um, it's, it's amazing how many startups and companies I look at and, you know, they're collecting all this data and it's essentially just becoming this log of events of changes in your health status um, that really are in no way connected with other people. Right? right. And so I just come back to that over and over again because I think at some point when you're working on, you're going very deep. Um, you know, mm -hmm. you're applying science and there are often also these multiple concerns that never, you know, social, you know, people who are writing consumer apps don't really even have to think about things like risks, you know, things like privacy, you know, at a, at a much different level um, from what a classic consumer app entrepreneur needs to think about. And the problem is that it often distracts founders from really focusing on nailing that, you know, what I, what I think, um, you know, James Currier, a great friend of ours, um, mm -hmm. you know, has, has really kind of hit on with, with his fund and his fund is called NFX, right? Network, mm -hmm. network effects for this reason that, you know, um, it's the driver of, of, what in the valley it's called hypergrowth it's when right. you, when when you your consumer customers realize that every single person they bring on to the platform increases the value of the platform for them mm -hmm. to you know to an exponential degree relative to the effort of you know basically 
you know, marketing it to them takes from them. So, so, um, and it's so obvious. It's so obvious that, you know, in, I don't know, 23andMe, right? You know, if right. you just upload your DNA someplace um, without that ability to compare it to everyone else's genome, it's right. obvious that it's got very little value. So, right. You know, and and so I, I, it's it sounds like I'm I'm sort of like you know beating on dead horse here a little bit, but I just want to emphasize that because I feel like in in many cases once you get in the weeds and you're in involved in the design of your application, speaking to entrepreneurs here in this space, um, you know it's 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 funny how easy it is to forget about that, and then that you know the social sharing. Oh, we'll just add a a tweet button or a, a share button to fa- share to Facebook button to our app um, later that's not enough like the whole fundamental experience um, and needs to be designed around this idea uh, that this is something that you're doing in a community right family um, maybe you're doing it with your spouse or your partner um, and and, it, and it's a social practice I always remember when in the very early days of Skype um, I met up with Nicholas Zenstrom, who was one of the co-founders of Skype and now runs his own fund called Atomico in Europe. Mm-hmm. And and the first time he told me about Skype, he handed me head, a pair of headphones because what was going on at the time was you'd, yeah, you'd listen to music on your iPod or, you know, you'd plug it in headphones into your computer, but those headphones didn't have a microphone. You would only use them to listen and of course if you use Skype you need to talk to somebody so you needed a microphone so they had to manufacture their own headphones to get people into the habit of using headphones that included a microphone but the the brilliant thing about what he did was in that package of a free pair of headphones from Skype there were actually two pairs right so I gave the other one to my mom mm-hmm. and I downloaded Skype on, his, on her computer I was doing my PhD in, in in the UK at the time and my mom was in Helsinki and this was a way for us to communicate and so that really an insight of not saying oh well let's put another one in there turns everyone into a viral vector basically who now has an interest in don't in giving this it's it's what I call um, you know basically this notion of a gift right um, and and I think this frequently gets forgotten about is that when you're thinking about your design of the application it's not about trying to get other people you know your current users to market or sell it's about can you turn that social object into a gift right that has inherent value and you can think you know there's obviously ways like LinkedIn was one of the or PayPal was one of the early pioneers of this where you know you'd get an additional you know a free ten dollars on your balance uh, if you invited a friend this is obviously nowadays you know normal feature of every app including the Ubers and the Lyfts of the world when you invite someone on the platform so sometimes it's enough to just put some cash in there Mm -hmm. but oftentimes there's actually a way you can you know turn it into something that's meaningful um you know and and it doesn't need to involve uh you know like a monetary transaction so i would i would just challenge you when you're thinking about your product Mm -hmm. just take a moment to imagine it as what in this inherently uh could function as a gift that i could give to someone i care about Mm -hmm. but it also brings them onto the platform i like that i like that 
Um, this is great. This is great, Yuri. No, I appreciate it. First of all, the, the advice, sharing your origin story, your mindset of the market and your experience on how you've seen these, you know, your, your previous investments, current investments and new evaluating new investments too. And then it's great and refreshing to hear you're doing it in the organic sense of, you know, what has the most potential network effects. Um, so it can grow the most and impact the most people from a social perspective. Um, Yuri, I've got one more question for you. Uh, before I ask my last question, uh, what is a good way for people to find you online and engage with you if, if they would like to do so? I'm at Yuri, J-Y-R-I on Twitter. And our firm is at YesVC. So it's Yes, Y-E-S-V-C for venture capital. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, and, and we're at Yes.VC on the web. So those are, those are the primary channels. Awesome. Awesome. Yuri, my, so thank you for that. We'll link to that in the show notes. And Yuri, my last question is, so, you know, you've seen so much and bring an interesting dimension of social. I know you're just getting back from, from visiting Japan. You do a lot probably in health and wellness. Uh, and obviously to do what you do to stay resilient and focused and, and joyful, you probably have an interesting routine. What's one well-being habit that you do on a daily or weekly basis that really works for you and keeps the engine going? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll give you two examples. My, my habit has been to realize that I can uh, compress time, right? So, so where I, I used to do these longer runs, um, you know, or, you know, longer biking sessions, I still love doing those on the weekend, mm -hmm. but, but um, this consistency of a 20 minute um, hit session, whether it's on my Peloton or, you know, I live on Alamo Square in San Francisco, which has a very high, uh, steep hill. Um, mm -hmm. I've just found that I enjoy that so much. Um, and, you know, mm -hmm. I know it's been, been spoken of time and again, but um, I've, I've just found that that's, that's the thing that actually works best for me when it comes to just basically going out there and doing something in the morning because it, it compresses that time and allows me to, to squeeze it in even if I have some like an early call, <laughs> an early podcast recording coming up. Um, the second thing that I'd note is that um, what often gets missed is, and I was just talking to a friend of mine who runs a coaching company. It's called Hinsa Performance. Mm -hmm. They specialize in these European Formula One drivers. I think, I believe 12 of the last world champions in Formula One, which, you know, it's kind of like the, the indie cars for the rest of the world, these extreme mm -hmm. high speed, um, you know, you know, these drivers are probably some of the most valuable athletes in the world. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and so what he's been doing is he's been their personal wellness coach and they literally have a coach, the top drivers who is with them 24 hour, 24 seven travels with them everywhere, takes care of them. And, and I asked him, um, I asked him, what's the key insight? And he said, well, you know, we've discovered that what really works is if we just basically isolate the driver. 48 hours before the important race um, and, you know, limit their social interactions to their close friends and family mm. because mm. it, it, it changes everything in yeah. their mindset. Um, it reduces stress level and it takes time. Um, it, you know, it takes that, you, you can't just do it for two hours. It has right. to be like, and so, and I was like, wow. And he's, and I asked him, cause he recently started, um, 
and I actually have, have connected some of my friends in Silicon Valley with, with Hinsa because they're such a special, special um, coaching company. Um, and he started helping executives and founders in addition to um, these, these athletes. And, and I asked him, what's the key difference you see um, between these executives and these athletes, these professionals? Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, I'll tell you what it is. It's, it's so clear. The executives, um, they don't understand the value of recharging themselves. Right. Basically of rest. Whereas yeah. the professionals, um, they, they, they do it. They, they will, you know, basically allow themselves to recover. And it's right. one of the most interesting parts about why, why I like and invested in this ring aura because it tracks your recovery and what's called your readiness level right right now i I just came back from from japan it's a you know there's a big time difference everyone knows this right it Mm -hmm. you know it takes time it takes i feel like for me at least on average one day of recovery required for each hour of time difference that i travel when i cross time zones so Mm -hmm. taking a 10 hour you know, time difference, for instance, to my native country of Finland, when I travel to Helsinki in the summer to see my family there, um, that's 10 days of recovery. That's a really long time. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's not, you know, I'm, I'm 42 now, and, and I feel like being able to actually give myself that ability and the time I, my body needs to recover has been probably the biggest lesson, lesson of the last decade for yeah and and i just can't emphasize enough it's not that you're slacking off right (laughs) that you know everything your brain everything we are learning now about you know the way that our brain rejuvenates and regenerates and flushes itself out our muscles grow when we sleep and recover so i would just you know end it there and say don't forget to allow your body to take the time it needs to recover right right Right, Yuri, that's that's great. Yeah, I think restoration. Uh, yeah, that's so. This is great to end on that high note, and you know that really good piece of punchy advice. I think that's that's powerful. So, thank you for this, Yuri. Well, so a couple of things. Thank you for making time. Thank you for sharing your story, your origin story with us. What you're making some bets on in this market, which are making a tremendous social impact. And then, uh, you know, most importantly, it's exciting, you know, to see you you know, enabling new possibilities to happen in, in this intersection of social and health. So it's really fascinating. Um, to our listeners out there, this is the Pop Health Show. The show is for anyone that has a strong passion for making people healthier in this world. Yuri, again, thank you so much. This was great. Thanks, Anthony. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks. <laughs>